it kind of knocked me back down a little bit. And I can tell sometimes when I come into church on Sunday mornings, what kind, if it's been really hot all week long, you can tell. And whenever it rained, man, we got up here, everybody was so excited. Everybody came in with smiles on their faces. and So I can tell it's starting to heat back up again. But you know what? Our feelings, what we feel like in the morning doesn't change our salvation. Amen. It doesn't matter if you what you feel like. You might not always feel up the. You might not always feel up the par. You might not always be excited. You might not always have that. You know that little pep in your step. But we're still saved. Amen. And we still got the best thing going in Jesus Christ. And I hope that we never forget that. Galatians chapter six, verse seven. I'm going to start this morning at Galatians chapter six, verse seven. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. And if everything goes all right this morning, I might even have a Mickey Gilly song for you this morning. Who knows? It's kind of kind of morning that's going for me. I'm in a pretty good mood. I'm thankful that I'm saved. I'm thankful that I'm saved because I don't deserve to be saved. That's what makes me so thankful. You know, amen. I mean, I get to think about my life, you know, get to think about the way I was raised, the way I raised myself. I don't have anybody to blame. I'm not blaming my parents. I'm not blaming my teachers or, or society or the government or... I'm not blaming anybody but myself. I was a sorry, no good sinner, rotten, no good, lived a hellish life. Nothing. I'm, everything I've done, I was ashamed of. But I sit up here and think about my age, and we got to talk about it this morning. Sunday school get to thinking about where I'm at and where I could be and where I'm not. I'm not in prison right now, amen. I'm not. A, I'm not in a jail cell, which that's where I should be. I'm not. A, not. I'm not working at McDonald's this morning on a on the morning shift because that's all the education I have. I deserve not to be working where I'm working. It's like the Lord's just blessed me, and it makes no sense other than that God just loves me. And my, it's not. And I'm not special. I'm here to tell you He loves all of y'all the same way. And I know a lot of y'all stories, and you're you got the same type of testimony. Y'all all are blessed beyond measure. Your cup runneth over. And we're in a church full of Christians that are blessed. Amen. And, and I'm thankful. And we should give all the glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So let's switch gears. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. I want to focus on this verse. And then we're going to talk about this verse. And then I'm going to show you a story out of the Bible that illustrates this verse perfectly. Look at Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth. That shall he also reap. Let's read it again. Now this sermon, this message this morning is for everybody in this room, but especially for anybody who's 20 years old or younger, or 25 year, years old or younger, or 30 years old or younger. It's for everybody, amen. But you younger people in here, maybe you don't have any gray in your hair yet, I want you to remember verse 7. If you remember anything this week, if you remember anything this month, I want you to take this verse and I want you to make this your life verse. And realize that God is not going to be mocked. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray you make this stuff real to us, Lord God. I pray, Lord, these illustrations, Lord, will come alive. And, Lord, this word, Lord God, will come alive. Lord, I pray you speak to everybody's heart and hear the truth. How much you love them, Lord God. How much grace you have for them, Lord God. And how... You are very gracious. And Lord, I pray, Lord, you make it evident and real, Lord. And by chance, Lord, there's somebody in this room that's not saved. Lord, they don't know you as the Lord and Savior. Father, as we give this invitation at the end of these services, they'll come on down and get saved, Lord. But help us to understand, Lord, that whatever we put into it, that's what we're going to get out. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to understand this principle, this law of your universe. In Jesus Christ, holy name I pray, amen. 
This is a law of the universe. God is not mocked whatsoever. This is the law. This is the law of the universe. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Whatever you put into it is what you're going to get out. The saying the world gives you is, if you give the world a smile, the, the world will smile back. It's the flip side to every corn, amen. If you give the world a frown, the world's going to frown back. Whatever good you put into it, the good you're going to get back. If you put evil in, you're going to get evil back. It's a law of the universe. It's a, it's, a, it's a law of harvest. Whatever a man soweth, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you're going to plant, if you're going to plant tomato seeds, you're going to get tomato seed, tomato plants back, you're going to get fruits of tomatoes. If you're going to plant corn, you're going to get corn back. If you go, so you don't go to and plant tomatoes and then wonder why you go, you're getting corn back. It don't work that way, amen. You never plant something and come out there unless somebody snuck in like the devil and planted something that's not supposed to be there, right? But the truth is, is whatever you're planting in the ground, that's what you're going to reap. And the law of the harvest is this. Now listen to me. The law of the harvest is this. You don't put in one tomato seed and expect to get one tomato back, amen. You put in one tomato seed and that's going to create a plant and you expect to get a lot of tomatoes out, right? So whatever you put in, you're going to get a lot come back. It's a law of the universe. Uh, it's as much a law of the universe as gravity. It's just as much of a law of the universe as gravity. And the reason why I was pointing out to some of you young people in here, y'all need to listen up. Because as an old man, I can tell you, as an older guy, I can tell you I've seen this work out in my life. I've seen it worked out in lots of people's lives. And it's just it's, it's a law just like gravity. And I've seen this in young kids. Okay, young, I've got a little a granddaughter. And that little toot, she'll, she'll do stuff. And she doesn't realize the laws of the universe that if she squiggles a lot, she's going to fall out of my arm and fall and hit her head. So she's always doing this little number like that. And I remember when my son, he started getting old enough to walk. What's the first thing? He'd just walk right off the porch. Catch me, Dad. Just not like, you don't do that. You're trying to, you run and catch them. And then you'd put them up there because they don't understand if they fall, they get hurt. They don't understand the law of the universe of gravity. And you put them up there and they'll jump right off into your arms. But what happens when they get older? The older they get, they start realizing there's a law of the universe called gravity. That they will fall and hurt themselves. And then you're like... Jump! And they're like, will you catch me, Daddy? Yeah, I'm going to catch you. I'm your dad. I'm not going to let you fall. But that's the point of the, the laws of these universes is that sometimes when you're young, you don't understand these laws. It takes a little while to, to, for you to grow up, to mature, to start realizing there's laws that God's put in this universe that applies to everybody everywhere, lost and saved. Deal with gravity. The lost and saved deal with the law of harvest that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Speaking of Gravity, let me point this out to you that so many people think I'm a Christian and I fall. And I, what's the difference between somebody's lost and they fall? Because they've been in this room as a Christian, you're going to fall, amen. All right, I got a good amen out of that. There's a look, couple of fallen Christians in here. You're not falling from grace, you just fail, you trip up, you make a mistake, you sin. The difference between us and people who are outside of Jesus Christ is that when a Christian falls, they fall in Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't get that yet. Let me explain it like this. If you're, on, if you're in the ground and you fall from here, I'm tripping up right here, I'll trip and I might hurt my leg or something, but I'm not, I'm not going to fall and die. I'm just going to trip right up here if I was a tripper up here. But if, you, if I was to trip up and fall from about 30,000 feet, Brother Keegan ain't going to survive that, right? Even with my jacket on, I might can wing it down for a little while, you know, <laughs> but I'm going to hit the ground hard. I'm going to die. 
What's the difference? Well, if I'm in Christ, if you're in an airplane at 30,000 feet and you trip up, you're in the airplane. Just like if you're in Christ and you trip up, you're in Christ. You're not falling 30,000 feet. You're falling in Christ. Brothers and sisters, you've got the best thing going in Jesus Christ. <laughs> you got the best thing going in Jesus Christ. But the law of the universe is another y'all, the law of the universe is simply this, is that there's a sowing and a reaping. That whatever you put in is what you're going to get out. And if you put in evil, you're going to get an evil comeback. You're going to put in good, you're going to get good comeback. And he goes on to say there in verse 8, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. So I believe if you're coming in here this morning on a Sunday morning where you could be anywhere else, I think that you're trying to reap, you're trying to sow to your Spirit. You're trying to say, I want to feed this Spirit, I want to sow to this Spirit because I want to reap life everlasting. I want this spiritual reapness. I want this spiritual fruitfulness. I want this spiritual growth. That's why you're, that's why you're sowing to your spirit and you're going to reap. But if you're living out in the world and you're sowing to your flesh, you're going to reap life. You're going to reap corruption, not life everlasting. Not life everlasting. We're going to see this play out in Genesis chapter 29. Turn to Genesis chapter 29, please. Let's, let's keep, I, and I preached on this a couple of Sundays ago, and, and now we're going to catch back up to old Jacob. Old Jacob, Genesis chapter 29. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 29, and we're going to see this play out in Jacob's life. This law of harvest, this law of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. And the reason why I keep bringing up the young people is, as a young person, you, you, you think you can sow and you can sow and you can sow. And like anything in a harvest is, you throw those seeds out there and it takes a while for that stuff to grow and to come up. And what you're sowing today, young man, young woman, what you're sowing today is going to reap later on in your life. You're going to reap it later on in your life. There's things I've sowed as a young teenager to this day and 50 years old. In my 50s, I'm still reaping that. Amen. There's things you can, a young man, young woman, there's things you can sow today and you're going to reap for the rest of your life. There's some mistakes you can make today you're going to deal with for the rest of your life. There's some good decisions you can make today that's going to help you for the rest of your life. Amen? It's, it, it's the sowing and the reaping. And if you remember Jacob, Jacob decided he was going to run ahead of God and he's going to steal the blessing from his brother Esau. I preached on this a couple of Sundays ago, and Isaac was getting old. He couldn't see. So Jacob, with the help of his mom, he went in, and he deceived his own dad, and he stole the blessing. And he got away with it. He thought he got away with it, right? He got away, and his brother said, man, as soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill old Jacob. So Jacob's mom and dad, Isaac and Rebekah, brings him in here and says, Jacob, I don't want you marrying one of these women of this country. We want you to go back to our kinfolk. So go back and get your wife from our kinfolk. And this is the story. We're picking it up in verse 1 of chapter 29 of Genesis. And this is the story of Jacob. He's left. He's ran because Esau's out to kill him. His mom and dad want him to go find a wife somewhere else that's not of, their, of, the, of the people that they're living around. He wants them to go, they want them to go find some, uh, a wife of their own kin. So look at verse 1 of Genesis chapter 29. Let's pick this story up. Then Jacob went out on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. So he went east of Jerusalem of, uh, of Israel. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field. And lo, there were the three flocks of sheep lying by it. 
For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered. All of them were gathered together, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the sheep and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in its place. So Jacob goes along and he finds what we would call a community well. And in this community well, they, all the people would bring their flock to, to, to water their flock from this well, and they'd put a stone on it when it wasn't being used to keep animals from falling in there and dying and things getting in there. And then whenever everybody's getting ready to water, they'd walk, roll that stone away and drink from that well. The sheep would. See, that speaks to the community church. This church here at Indian Gap should be a place that people could come in. It should be a community well that sh people could, should come in and be able to get the living waters out of the well's mouth. This is the well, amen. This is where you're going to draw those living waters. And this should be a place where somebody could come in. It don't matter what denomination you are. It don't matter who you are. As long as you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you'll be able to walk in these doors and say, I'm going to get some water this morning, some living waters out of the well. And that speaks to that, that they, the middle of verse 3, and the, they roll the stone from the well's mouth, that stone being Jesus Christ. Roll the, rolled the stone from the well's mouth, well's mouth and watered the sheep. And we get watered just with those living waters and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in its place. Verse 4. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? In other words, he's saying, Where are you coming from? And they said, Of, of Haran are we? And he said unto them, Verse 5, Know ye Laban the son of Nahar? And they said, We know him. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. If you know Laban out of the Bible, Laban's a crook. <laughs> so he's like, hey guys, y'all know Laban? They're like, oh yeah, we know him. Oh yeah, we know him really well. That's what they, it's kind of implying that, that, oh yeah, we know old Laban really well. We don't, go, we don't have no dealings with Laban. He's kind of crooked. And you see that through, of Laban all through the Bible. And they say, yeah, we know him. In verse 6, and he said unto them, is he well? And they said, he's well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with the sheep. Here comes Rachel, Laban's daughter. Verse 7, and he said, Lo, it is yet high day. Jacob tells them it's high day. It's later in the day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep and go and feed them. See, Jacob's a shepherd. He knows how it should be done. He says, what are y'all guys doing? Y'all shouldn't be here. Y'all should get them water and get back out there and get them fed. That's not the way you're supposed to raise uh, sheep. And they said, no, we got to wait. Verse 8, and they said, we cannot until all the flocks be gathered together. Until they roll the stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. When we're two or more gathered together, I'll be in the midst of you, Jesus said. And sometimes, guys, when you're not here at the church, we'll miss you. Not just me. I mean, my wife, you can ask my wife, and God's my witness, I don't keep counting how many people are coming to this church or are leaving out. I can tell if the church does not have as good attendance or if there's more people here. But sometimes, sometimes y'all are not here, and I miss you. Wonder where you're at. And that's the way this goes here is, well, we got to wait till everybody gets together. Sometimes I feel like, man, I hate that so-and-so's missing this, or I hate that so-and-so's missing that, and we're doing something doing that. Hey, I think there's, there's importance in getting together as a church. I was down there at uh, Copper's Cove, and Brother Knox was preaching, and he was preaching on this kind of same vein about how the church is a body, and we get together, and everybody in the church is important, and we should all be together as a body in unity. And you might think you're not important to this church, but you are. And Brother Knight got up, or Brother Knight, the pastor of the church, got up and he says, I want to tell y'all something. He goes, some of y'all, I don't see y'all and it hurts me. And I miss you. And I wonder where you're at and it bothers me. 
And, I, and, I, and my heart reached out to Brother Knight because I understand what he's, what he's dealing with that. And it says there, they said, We cannot all, until all the flocks be gathered together until they roll the stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. Amen. Y'all are here this morning. So that, that little message I just gave is not for y'all. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just an old-time Baptist or something, but I think church is important. And maybe y'all don't understand this, but as a pastor, I know church is important. Because uh, in my ministry over these years, 20-odd years of ministering to people and the, the gospel, ministering to people that are in trouble, ministering to people that have trouble, it amazes me that the people that are in church on a regular basis don't need my help. It also amazes me the people that aren't in church on a regular basis, people that don't come to church, they're the ones that call me in the middle of the night like, oh, pastor, I need your help. And I don't mind helping, and I don't mind talking, and I don't mind praying with people. I don't mind at all, brothers. Don't get me wrong. But it, you can ask my wife. It never stops amazing me how many people reach out and need my help that aren't in church. And when I minister to them, this is one of the first, if you come to me and you're not in church, this is one of the first things I'm going to minister to you about. I'm going to say, what's your church life like? Well, pastor, I hadn't been to church in about six months. Well, have you, you need to get back in church. Well, your church is so far out. I said, you need to get back. Not, they don't have to come to my church. Just get into church somewhere, amen? Boy, I don't get any amens on that one. I don't blame you. That's not a problem. I'm, t I'm, no, I'm stepping on toes. But as a preacher, you see this stuff. Alcohol. That's another one. So y'all know I, I hit alcohol. I preach about alcohol. I don't believe in drinking. I don't think you should be drinking. And I had a brother. He, he's being called by the Lord to preach. And he says, I don't think it's anything wrong with drinking. I said, brother, you got to have your own convictions, but I, that's, that's where I'm at. You know what he did? He came to me the other day. You know what he said to me? He said, I've been ministering to people, and I'm finding so much problem with alcohol. I'm getting to the point where I don't like alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the club. He said, I'm, I, all these people, I'm dealing with these people, and, and the, the problem is alcohol. Welcome to the club. And one day you're going to realize it's not just that. They're not in church. There's something about being in church around God's people when you're getting watered by the Lord in church. It does something for you. It's good for you. It helps you. It encourages you. It feeds you. you got to be fed. The world's not going to feed you. They're feeding you slop. Amen. And you're not a pig. I'm going to say that again. You're no pigs. You're not pigs. You're sheep. The world feeds the world feeds the world slop because they're nothing but pigs. And God, it doesn't, it, God doesn't describe you as a pig. God says, you're my sheep. You're supposed to, be, supposed to be fed sheep food, not slop. What happens when a pig falls down in the mud and starts wallowing around in the dirt, in the slop? A pig wallows around and a pig says, he starts making himself, getting himself, making himself at home, amen? This is a home. This feels really good. What happens when a sheep falls down in a mud pit? It calls for the master to come pull it out. Amen. All those illustrations hit home. There's a reason why God calls you a sheep and not a pig. Amen. Verse 9. This is not even my sermon. That was just, that, that's extra. Y'all didn't, didn't even have to pay for that one. Verse 9, And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, that'd be his uncle. So Laban would be Jacob's uncle. And the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, 
Then Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the whale's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother, over and over again, showing us that's his uncle. So that Rachel would be his cousin. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Now that kiss is not a passionate kiss. That kiss is like a, the Arabian's kiss the over in the Middle East. They kissed on the cheek. And it's, 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 it's a kiss of greeting. It's a kiss of, of love. It's not a kiss of passion. And you're going to see the same kiss given by Laban later on. Didn't Paul say, give each other, greet each other with a holy kiss? Y'all read that in your Bible? Amen. Some of y'all say, amen. Well, don't read it too much because don't give me a holy kiss coming out of here. We're, not, we're just shaking hands. Amen. Okay. Verse 12. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother. Now, in a sense that they're kinfolk is what he means by that. He's not literally his, her father's brother in a sense, but in the Bible sense, I'd be kinfolk. And that... He was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. So she runs back and tells her father Laban. Verse 13, And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. There's that same type of kiss. And brought him to his house, and he told Laban all these things. So Jacob tells him his whole life story. I bet he left out the part where he deceived his dad and stole the blessing. What do you think? I'm just guessing, but that's how we are, right? We always tell everybody the good stuff we've done. We forget to tell people the bad. Verse 14, And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh, and he abode with him the space of a month. That's how you can tell that he didn't tell him the story about what he did to his daddy. Because, you know, you come to, Hey, yeah, you know what? I deceived my dad and stole the blessing, and, and man, I, my brother's out to kill me. He said, yeah, I'll just stick around for another month. You're welcome to stay here. No way. He said, you get out of here, you crook. Isn't that what he probably would have said? Now you can tell that Jacob didn't tell Laban everything. Verse 15, And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou not therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? So Laban says, Hey, you're working here with me, Jacob. You're staying here with me, Jacob. What should I pay you? Here's Jacob's response in verse 16. And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, so Leah was older. And the name of the younger, younger was Rachel, and Leah was tender-eyed. But Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. So the Bible's description of Leah is tender-eyed. Modern-day description was she was kind of homely. Doesn't mean she was necessarily ugly. But she wasn't the beauty queen that Rachel was. And this is another great lesson for you young folk in here. Because a lot of us older folk know exactly what I'm about to say. Growing up in high school, you grow up in high school and there'll be, uh, you'll be certain, there'll be certain like, I'm, I'm, I, as a boy, I'm going to use the boy example. As a young man, you look over there and you say, she's the cheerleader. Oh, she's so beautiful. Oh, she, in the 80s, we call she's so hot. I don't know what y'all guys use nowadays, but well, she's hot. She's fine. Oh, she's beautiful and everything. Then when you get into your 30s and 40s and 50s and you run into them in a grocery store, you're like, what happened? <laughs> right? Same way with the guys, right? There's some guys that were real handsome in school and then they get older and you realize, whoa, what happened to you? You kind of fell apart there. You got your belly's sticking out this far. And, and that happens to all of us, right? So the truth is, is the beauty's only for a little small window. So if you're in here and you're relying on your beauty or your good looks, it's, man, you better use it while you can. <laughs> But beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And beauty's what's on the inside. And we know God created us just like you are. And you're beautiful just the way you are. And for Jacob to look and he sees Leah and he says, well, she's not very good looking. But Rachel, man, she's a good looking babe. That's the one I want. Well, it doesn't turn out very well for Jacob. 
As a matter of fact, God blesses Leah a whole lot more than he ever blesses Rachel. He blesses Leah a whole lot more than he ever blesses Jacob. As a matter of fact, God sees what's going on in this story. And later on, you go home and read it. We don't have time this morning. Go home and read it. But God sees what's going on with Jacob and how he's not loving Leah and he's loving Rachel more. And God just says, you know what? I'm going to bless Leah for that. And in my ministry, in my life, I've seen some people that, I, I, you, you know, you would line them up and they're not going to win any beauty contest. But on the inside, they're some of the most beautiful people you ever meet. Amen. So don't you worry about how God created you. God created you just like you should be. And just embrace that. Be faithful to how God created you. Hey, man, I've had to be faithful to having no hair since I was like 19. So whatever, and a big nose. So whatever you're having to deal with, is, you know, my heart, goes, <laughs> my heart goes out to you. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel. And said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Seven years. He says, I'll work for you for seven years. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to thee than I should give her to another man. Abide with me. The truth is, she, he probably couldn't give her away because everybody knows how Laban is. I'm like, man, don't mess with Laban's daughter. Laban's a crazy nut crook. They don't want to have nothing. <laughs> so he's probably just lucky that somebody's willing. And then, and then on top of that, Jacob's willing to work seven years for her. For her. Look at verse 20. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. They seemed unto him but a few days. You know what that few days turns out to be? 2,520 days he worked for Rachel. I, I added it up. <laughs> That's a lot of time, man. That's a lot of time. Can you guys, you guys imagine that? Some of y'all guys did the right thing. Y'all went to your, your wife's dad and said, hey, do you mind if I ask your daughter for your daughter's hand in marriage? Yeah, if you work for me for seven years. Good luck with that. I know some of you ladies out there, I know some of you ladies out there are sitting out there going, I wish my husband loved me enough to work for me for seven years. And the only thought I can think of, he, you've had him in bondage for 20 or 30 years, man. <laughs> what else could, more could you ask? <laughs> I'm not making any friends this morning, but I'm having fun doing it. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. That is real love. I mean, all kidding aside, that's real love, right? That he's willing to, real love is when you're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to wait. Some of you young ladies need to hear that. When, you're willing to, when a guy's willing to wait for you. Amen? Yeah, that's real love. When a guy's like, okay, baby, I'll, I'll wait. I mean, here he is. Jacob's willing to wait seven years. You might be asking him to wait just a year, wait a year and a half. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe you can show, you can kind of prove his love, right? Amen. As, as, a, as, a, uh, as a dad that has a stepdaughter and as a dad that has a young uh, granddaughter, I hope my, my stepdaughter and granddaughter recognize that truth that a man should be willing to wait if he really loves her. Him but a few days for the love he had to her. That's great love, but nothing compared to the love Jesus Christ has for you. You say, how do you know that? Well, Jesus Christ says, and greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's great love. That love Jacob has is great love, but Jesus Christ has greater love. And everybody in this room, he loves you. He laid his life down for you. Verse 21, and Jacob said unto Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. So he says, give me my wife. Nowadays we say, as a pastor, I say, who gives the bride away? Who gives the bride away? 
And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a great feast. Made a feast. They made a marriage feast. It was time to have a wedding. They had a marriage feast. They're gonna, he's going to bring him. He's going to bring Rachel to, to Jacob. Give Rachel to Jacob. And Jacob's finally going to get his wife after seven years. Verse 23. And it came to pass in the evening. Always happening at night time. That he took Leah, not Rachel, Leah his daughter, and brought her to him. And he went in to her. And, Laban, and then it says, verse 24, And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zelpah, his maid, for a handmaid. That's kind of like a side note there. But that's a very important side note there in verse 24 because that Zelpah turns out having a lot of the children of the 12 tribes of Israel, Leah's handmaid. So there's a lot going on there. It's important. But back in verse 23, poor Jacob. They have the marriage feast. He, <laughs> Laban being the crook that he is, waits till it's night time. Wait till we're, Jacob can't really see what's going on. Polly puts her in a little veil and everything. So here, here's your bride. And Jacob's so excited. And he goes in and he goes in with his wife for the night. And then verse 25. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this thou hast done to me? Did I not serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Uh-oh. What sort of man soweth? That shall he also read. You mean you've been deceived, Jacob? That's kind of funny, because didn't you deceive your dad? Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. No, I got to thinking about that where he wakes up with Leah in the morning. What was that like? Kind of remind me, and I, I mentioned this, Mickey Gillies song, The Girls All Get Prettier at Closing Time. Y'all remember that one? He says, the girls all get prettier at closing time. They all begin to look like movie stars. If I could rate them on a scale from 1 to 10, I'm looking for a 9, but 8 would slip right on in. But a few more drinks, and I might slip to 5 or even a 4. But when tomorrow morning comes and I wake up with a number 1, I swear I'll never do it anymore. <laughs> That's the world right there. Amen. The world promises you a Rachel, but they give you a Leah. That's the whole world. They show you this beauty, they show you this, and they say, yeah, if you just do this, if you just live your life like this, if you just serve me for seven years, I promise you everything's going to be great. You can get everything your heart desires, everything you ever loved, I'm going to give it to you. And then when you show up to get it from the world, and they give you something like, you're giving me a Leah, I wanted a Rachel. <laughs> That's how a lot of us feel when you work for Social Security all your life, and they... <laughs> I think a brother here is mentioning they send you like $600 a month. You're like, man, that's what I spend in a day, is what one brother told me. You promised me a Rachel, and you're giving me a Leah. That's the world. That's the devil. That's how he works. And that's how, that's how Laban, Laban beguiled him. That's the same word used about the devil. Beguiled him, deceived him. Verse 26, and Laban said, It must not be so done in our country. To give the younger before the firstborn. Oh, man. There's always a catch. How much does it... Uh, I think I heard them say uh, uh, Elvis's, Elvis's uh, manager, Colonel Tom Parker, they said to him that one of his favorite sayings is, how much does it cost for it to be free? <laughs> how much does it cost for it to be free? Y'all guys know what that means. It means there's nothing free in this world. If somebody says... It's free. You're like, okay, what do I have to buy? Because it's always buy one, get one free. There's always some little disclaimer. And Laban said it must not be so done in our country so to give the younger before the firstborn. 
fulfilled her week. That week would be seven years. See, a week is seven. Seven years. That seven is that number of completion you find all through the Bible. Seven is that number we're studying in Revelation, this number seven of seven-year tribulation period, that number seven, that number of completion. He says, fulfill her week or her seven years, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me, yet seven other years. So Laban says, I tell you what, I can't give you the younger before the older, so I gave you the older first, but if you'll stay with me seven more years, then I'll go ahead and give you Rachel also. Man, what a sorry deal that is. Fourteen years. And get two wives and he only wanted one. <laughs> He's going to get them. And that goes against the Levitical law, by the way. God's law. But that, that's, what, that's why you can tell this book was not just written by men because it gives all the faults of Jacob and Isaac and Laban. Because see, if man was writing this book, it would tell you all the good stuff and not all the bad. But you're getting the bad right in there. So Jacob did so, verse 28, and fulfilled her week. And, gave him, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. Now that's important because Rachel couldn't have children for the longest time. So he, she gave her handmaid to Jacob. And they had children through, through her, through him, or through her, excuse me. And they had Dan and Naphtali, some of these people like that, of the 12 tribes of Israel. So there's 12 tribes of Israel, 12 sons of Jacob, that turns into the 12 tribes of Israel. And when you start studying that out, a lot of them are coming through these different, through Leah and through the handmaids. The last two come through Rachel. Who are the last two? Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph came through Rachel at the very end. And what was Joseph? He's the greatest type of Jesus Christ in the whole Bible. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Behal, his handmaid, to be her maid. Verse 30. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. So it appears that when all this went down, Laban says, well, go ahead. You go ahead and have Rachel as long as you stay with me seven more years. So he, had, he gave him Leah. And man, he couldn't get rid of Leah, so he just deceived him and gave him. There's where a man who sowed deception reaped deception. But the law of the harvest goes a little further than that because the law of the harvest is, remember what I said, you reap more than you sow. You might deceive, but you're really going to get deceived and deceived. You might do a little bit of evil, but you're going to get a lot of evil back. But it works in the right way too. If you do a little bit of good, you're going to get a lot of good back. Amen? You get a little bit, give some smiles, give some love, you're going to get a lot of love come back on you. Let's close up in Genesis chapter 37 and we're closing. Genesis chapter 37. It's a real simple sermon this morning. I'm not going into anything really, really deep. I'm just trying to remind you of the great truth that God is not mocked. And I don't want y'all to be deceived, especially, especially young people in here. I don't want you to go away deceived thinking, I can live my life how I want to live. I can do whatever I want to do. And you know, I'll never have to answer for it. Well, that's wrong. You will answer for it. God is not mocked. You're going to answer for it. Don't be surprised if you smoke all your life and then you wake up one day and you have lung cancer. You can't, you can't be deceived that way. And the world will deceive you and they try to deceive you into believing that you're going to live a certain lifestyle and nothing's going to happen. It'll happen. Um, I, and I'm not trying to pick on people, but it sounds like I'm picking on people. I'm just trying to make some illustrations because it's the truth. But uh, there's people I grew up with that they lived that lifestyle of being in the bars. They went to the bars. They lived in that lifestyle of being in the bars all the time. And they looked like they lived in the bars. They looked like they'd been rode wet like a wet saddle and put up, 
put road hard, put up wet, they look rough, they look hard. Uh, we used to call them bar rats, and that's the lifestyle they decided to live. And man, they look old. They look like 20 years older than they should look. And there's some men and women I know that have lived a good Christian life, that didn't drink and smoke, they just tried to live for the Lord, and they look about 20 years younger than they really are. Uh, Brother Eubanks' wife came through here, and she was close to 90, and she looked like she was in her mid-60s. It was amazing. But there's a testimony of the Lord. She served the Lord. She's given grace and love all her life. She doesn't drink. She doesn't smoke. She just tried to do the right thing, attended church all her life. And, she, and you, can, you can see that in her life. It's not, it's not completely 100%, but if you want a good chance of it, that's how you live that life. Now look at verse 31. Genesis chapter 37, verse 31. Now this is the story of Jacob. He has his 12 sons. One of them was Joseph. He loved Joseph. And the reason why he loved Joseph so much is because he was the firstborn of Rachel, which is his first love, remember. So Joseph was born of Rachel. Joseph was loved by Jacob. Jacob gives Joseph the coat of many colors that makes all his other brothers envious. So his other brothers, they get envious of Joseph, and they take Joseph, and they sell him away. So they were going to kill him, but Reuben talked them out of killing him, so they just sold him into Egypt. So whenever they got it, got it back, they said, what are we going to tell our dad? We've got to tell him about dad. He's died. So they take his coat, and they take his coat, and they dip his coat of many colors, and they dip it in blood, goat's blood. Look at, and we're picking that story up in verse 31. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a goat, kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, the father is Jacob. The one we've been studying and reading about. The one that deceived his own dad. This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it. Jacob knew it was Joseph's coat. And said it is my son's coat. An evil beast had devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. Well he wasn't rent. He was alive down in Egypt. But my point is, is. Here you have Jacob being deceived by his eyesight. Just like he deceived his dad. Isaac. With his, with his bad eyes. Verse 34, Jacob rent his clothes, put sackcloth upon his loins, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, to comfort Jacob. And he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt, talking about Joseph, unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Joseph, I mean, uh, excuse me, Jacob, he messed his life up in every way. You, he deceived people. He ends up being crooked with, with Laban. He's not honest with Laban. Laban's not honest with him. Jacob lived a horrible life. But you know what happens in the end? What God, what men intended for evil, God intended for good. And God took the evil of Jacob and the evil that the, his sons did to Joseph and turned it into good and saved the whole known world through Joseph. Here to tell you this morning, you might have lived, you might have done some stuff you, you wish you wouldn't have done. Maybe you sold some stuff you wish you wouldn't have sold. Maybe you've done some things you wish you wouldn't have done. But God can take that good, that bad, and turn it good. And I'll tell you the greatest thing about being a Christian, you might not realize this. If you're young, you don't realize it. But if you're old, you'll realize what I'm saying. The greatest thing about being a Christian is God has not made me reap all the evil I've sown. God has been gracious to me more than I ever deserved. And there's so much, I could, there's so much, of, this, uh, so much of this reaping I could have had. And God showed me the grace and mercy and said, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let it go, Keegan. That's the kind of God we serve. And that's the kind of God I hope you know. And if, as we give this invitation, I'm about to give an invitation.
for salvation. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, come on down and get saved. And I want you to get to know Jesus Christ like I know him. And you don't have to worry about that sowing you've been doing. Now you can start sowing the good and start reaping the good. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care. Upon him